0: Pray together. Heavenly Father, as we're singing that song, thinking about the fact that our breath is given to us by you, that we can return, in return, praise you and, and sing to you and, and worship you, not only with our voices. Maya, stay there for a second. Um, sorry to interrupt the prayer, but I needed her to stay here. Uh, we didn't cover that before. So, let's keep praying. Heavenly Father, as we um, just reflect on what it means to worship you, uh, Lord, you are the true and living God. As we were singing that and I was backstage listening to the voices raised to you, I, I couldn't help but think about who you are. And the fact that through Jesus Christ and the perfect plan of salvation that you worked out, through him and his act of obedience, his sacrifice, his humility, and ultimately the victory that he secured on our behalf by his resurrection from the dead. Lord, we we have a lot to celebrate this morning. So Lord, we pray that that, that would not just the, the words of that song would not just be words, but it would be the actual working out uh, of, of our obedience to you. That with every breath we would praise you. Lord, that means that as we walk through our days, the breasts that supply us life, we would take actions that praise and honor you. Lord, that means that the attitudes that we have would glorify and honor you. Lord, all of that is rooted in who we are in Christ. So you are worthy and we want to reflect your worthiness in all things that we say, do uh, so that Christ is made much of. So, Father, now as we enter in this time of teaching and focus on your word and and how you um, use the word of God, the scriptures that are uh, encased in the Old and New Testaments, Lord, those things bring life. Your spirit uses those truths to uh, give us life and instruction and teaching and, and to show us the hope that is secured for us. So, enlighten us this morning. Help us to learn. Help us to listen carefully to your spirit. We submitted ourselves to you for that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Maya, sorry. It, it struck me as I was behind the curtain thinking through some things that need to happen today. So, everybody can be seated. Um, I want to, real quickly, Maya, because I know you've got responsibilities. Michael, go stand back there with Maya for a second. Aiden, just scooch away a little bit. That, that a boy. You're not their son. Now, scooch back. You're not getting disciplined, dude. <laughs> Aiden's not theirs, okay? So, so for everybody to make sure you know that. Um, what, I'm, what I want to do and real quickly, Maya, I'm going to do this. Michael and Maya uh, Campbell, M- Michael is an elder in our church. Um, Maya is responsible for several things, predominantly the children's ministry. And uh, with that, y'all wave at everybody. Thanks. Um, Aiden is Nate and Stephanie's. Oh, uh, second son who worship leading worship for us this morning. Um, so I'm starting there. Maya, you can go with Aiden now and do what you need to do. Thanks. I just want everybody to see you. Um, Michael, you can return your seat. Um, I want to identify everybody who was at the vision retreat um, yesterday. We spent from 8 a.m. to 4 o'clock uh, doing retreat things for our church, looking at uh, things that we need to to hone and fix in ministry. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start introducing people. You saw Michael and Maya. Steve and Christy Pelt, will y'all stand up? Um, Thanks, Steve, for being yourself. He's nodding at me. No, I'm not going to do it. Steve is an elder, Christy, uh, his wife. Uh, I'm Matt Warren. I'm an elder. Katie, will you stand? Katie was there yesterday. Don't roll your eyes at me, sweetie. (laughs) So turn around and let everybody see your face. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to pay for that later. Um, So those are, we are the three elders of the church. Um, I'm going to introduce our deacons and their wives. Um, let's start with Danny. Danny, stand in the back. Julie, stand up. They're in the, in, when I say the back, they're in the booth, okay, the, the way back back. Um, hey, your son loves you. is he, he like he was even, like, not embarrassed to say, oh, no, that's my parents. He's, like, waving and, and drawing attention. So um, Danny is a deacon over outreach ministry. Um, he'll be helping with missions and some other things like that. Um, let's see, Don and Shay, are they in here? Don's doing security, okay. Don and Shay Spainhauer, Shay, she's got to work, okay. Um, Don is a, a deacon and he is going to be over like campus operations. So, so when we hit the campus, Don's kind of looking and seeing a lot of things. So he'll help um, people that are over like coffee bar, first impressions, uh, those kind of things, as well as Will Gachins, who is over campus uh, operations. So Will is one who will manage like all the things that are going wrong and helping all those things. Uh, so I'll, I'll get to him, but I wish they were here to introduce them. Um, Rob and Jesse Jones, y'all stand up. Um, Rob is a deacon over our grow groups. Jesse is over first impressions, uh, events, and a couple other things. Not over events, but you're part of it. And she, she took a deep breath and, like, it's a lot. So, um, but they were there and, and uh, doing great things. God's been doing great things in their lives. Um, also, we had Will. And Mallory Gachin's here. Mallory is our admin assistant, um, so she's also uh, our missions team leader. Will is campus operations, and uh, so they were a part of things. And and I just as a way of housekeeping, I want to remind you something, Mallory. What are you here today to do? Worship. Okay. Good answer. Right answer. The, so she's not here to work today. So don't make Mallory work on Sundays if you can help it. Okay. Let her worship. That's me as an elder trying to help guard that. She's good about it, but don't put her under that pressure. If you need a real answer, come see one of the elders, especially me, okay? That just helps her not have to work on Sundays. And then we had Gina Ryan. Gina, stand up. There you go. So Gina is over our women's ministry, and she was part of the retreat as well. And then we had Ronnie Johnson. Stand up, Ronnie. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Um, Ronnie cooked, yeah, so we're all so <laughs> grateful. He cooked great burgers and hot dogs for us yesterday on the grill in freezing cold weather. And so we are certainly probably most grateful that you were in attendance. Um, I'm not going to forget the babysitters. So then we had a couple other people that were children, uh, like some of the families had children. And so uh, folks arranged for Angie and Rain Erickson. Y'all stand up and wave at everybody. Yes, thank y'all so much for keeping kids. And then Natalie... Walden, Hinkle, stand up Natalie and then Juliana Warren, my daughter. So and, and and Leanne, I didn't know Leanne was here helping too. I didn't I did I see yeah, you asked me questions. I just thought you came in at some point. Leanne, stand up. Leanne Spain Howard. So thank you. I, I'm just missed you. Sorry, sweet. Thanks for correcting me, Jesse. So, I share all of that that information with you for a couple reasons this morning. The first is this. We asked you a couple weeks ago to be praying for the Vision Retreat. And to me, what, what came about yesterday, having done this for years uh, and years, is that it was a sweet day. Um, we, we accomplished a lot of things. The, the overall tone, tenor, spirit, uh, even through some like what I would say is, is tension where we're seeing things differently but trying to, to operate in unity and come to agreement about what the Lord wants to do was really good. Um, Because we we were able to continue to operate in unity and figure things out. Some things we got great answers to. There's things that we had to say we got to pause and and look at uh, at in the near future. And so why I share all that is a couple reasons. First of all, you've probably already seen change this morning. Some of you have talked about things. Dusty, thanks. You stepped up in a way already this morning with something. It's providential. God knew that you needed to be in that exact conversation in that moment. So answers are already coming about from the retreat and how God is causing things to work together. I want you to do this, though. Don't just assume that God will providentially, like, manage those things from behind the scenes. Go ask all these people that I had stand up something about the retreat. What did they learn? What are things that that you can help implement? Because there's going to be a lot of need for us to, to be gathering as an entire body to incorporate the vision and the things that God has called us to do. We're not going to be able to strategically share all these things uh, as a whole. We're going to talk a little bit more about them on next Sunday, which is our fifth Sunday where we have our members meeting after the service. So we'll take a little time to unpack a couple of the key things, but there's many more things that you're going to want to know. And so I think it's essential that you look around and see uh, those 14, 15 odd people that were, they're not odd people, some odd numbers of people. Um, (laughs) Sorry. You speak uh, uh, up front enough, your brain is moving. (laughs) They are odd. Some of us are odd. Is that, yeah. Okay. Um, At least I caught it, right? Um, So, sorry. Where was I going? Ask those uh, number of people what God is is doing in our church and, and get involved. Because everybody needs to be involved. We need you and your gifting to serve in the body. Okay. Now, with that said, uh, part of what came out of the retreat yesterday is we were looking at some things with uh, themes for 2022 and 2023, uh, coming up with some some ideas about what the Lord wants us to do. And this morning, um, the the message is going to be kind of incorporating two things that we're going to do this year that's a little different. Um, last week, we were going to be looking at uh, the idea of what it means to, to love well. And I was actually, we, we've talked as elders about... Um, how to incorporate a look at some historical figures and talk about real people, real struggles, and real success. Yes. Oh, did, I, I thought my, sorry, I thought they knew. Okay, if you have children ages 4 through 10, I thought they were gone already gone out. I'm not, my mind's on other stuff. If you have children age 4 through 10, we have children's church for them. This would have been a late appropriate time for them to exit. What's that? I gave them a break. I gave the teachers a break, right? Yeah. Help them out. They're going to thank me later unless I go long. Then I lose out. Um, So last week we were going to look at uh, the idea of love, and we're talking about uh, a series that's not going to be a um, consecutive week series, but it will be points that we hit throughout the year at Key Moments where we look at real people, real struggles, and real success. Uh, taking these folks and and how God has worked in their lives through their their own walks of faith, and they give us both examples of real people, um, but also help us tie in the the scriptural truths um, that are essential for us. And so I was last week going to look at actually Martin Luther King, Jr., and uh, read his letter from Birmingham jail and was going to talk about the the focus that he had. He had some great statements in that letter about what it meant to be uh, called an extremist, but he was—he took that and said, "If I'm an extremist about loving people, um, I'm following Christ." Well, and a, if you've never read that, it's actually really good statements in there. And so I was just going to take those things and package those with scripture and those kind of things, and um, I was learn about again what what Jesus taught about the importance of love. Uh, I'm not going to teach that this week. I'm actually going to put that. Uh, on the, the website as a blog post, so sometime this week you can look for that out there. Um, TheGrow431.com and just follow the blogs. It'll be hopefully encouraging message about the importance of us being people who love well. This week, so because I didn't get that chance to teach last week, as I was praying about this concept that, uh, of, of what it means to know the Word of God, the Scriptures well, I decided to go ahead and jump into this series and us look at the life of William Tyndale. Okay, so William Tyndale is a, a very interesting character. How many of you know anything at all about William Tyndale? T Y N D A L E. Raise your hands. Hi. Be proud historians. Okay, yeah, good. Okay, so, so some of you don't. That's fine. I, I want to give you a quick overview, okay? Um, and, and let me tell you where this whole concept came because I think the quote that I'm about to read is going to be helpful to you. John Piper, if you're not familiar with him, he's a, a pastor who's now retired, but uh, he's written several books over the course of his life. He actually did a series on 21 historical characters, and ultimately he captured those things and call, called, them, uh, called the series, The Swans Are Not Silent. Um, thinking about the, the voices of the past, that these guys were gentlemen, like swans kind of re- represent a high order of the bird. And, and so they're not silent. They continue to emphasize uh, how their their uh, impact in, in the world and history. And so he actually said this, and, and so I, I want to read this because I think as he captured some of the history, it's just really packaged well, and it'll give us a good insight and place to, to begin by looking at William Tyndale. So he wrote this, uh, Piper wrote this. Stephen Vaughan was an English merchant commissioned by Thomas Cromwell, uh, who was, and this is important, he was a, an advisor to Henry, uh, King Henry VIII. He, uh, t- Cromwell commis- was commissioned to find William Tyndale and inform him that the king desired him, uh, Tyndale to come back to England out of hiding on the continent. In a letter written to Cromwell from Vaughn dated June 19, 1531, Vaughn wrote about Tyndale these simple words, I find him always singing one note. That, that's an interesting phrase. You think that's going to be the description that someone talks to, or does, gives to the king about Tyndale. I find him always singing one note. And the note was this: this, you know, this is what Piper's continuing to, to write. Will the King of England give his official endorsement to a vernacular Bible for all English subjects? Question mark. If not, Tyndale would not come back to England. So here's what was happening. Okay, I'll give you a, a little bit back history. Uh, Tyndale was studying the Word of God, and and as a, a Catholic priest at the time. In his studies of Erasmus' uh, Greek New Testament, he started to, to experience some change in his theology. And in this, one of his greatest frustrations was that up to this time, what was the Bible written in? Three languages pr- primarily. Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, okay? So in England, what, what's the frustration for the English people? They can't read it in English. English right? So the year is what, do you remember what year this was for Tyndale that I just read? 15, let me make, double check, it was 1531 when all of this started with all the, the searching and, uh, for him because what had happened is he was so intent on translating the Bible into English that he uh, was beginning to be persecuted. So what happened is Sir Thomas More, does anybody remember Thomas More's name? Okay, he, If you don't, no big deal. I'll explain it real quick. He was a staunch Catholic. He actually held the position of Lord High Chancellor for King Henry VIII. And being a staunch Catholic, as Tyndale and Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin and Martin Luther began to experience their Reformation thoughts... Moore started to really rail against them and hold a, a strong Catholic position. And being the high chancellor, Lord High Chancellor to King Henry, he was opposing Tyndale. So Tyndale starting to experience persecution. And, and Sir Thomas More did not want the Bible translated in English because as a staunch Catholic, he wanted it to remain in the Latin tradition. And so ultimately, Tyndale ends up leaving the continent of England, and he goes to Worms, Germany. That's important. Because what's happening in Worms, Germany at this time? Gina, go ahead and answer. Yes. Yes, so the court case for for Luther is taken from where he posted the 95 Thesis in Wittenberg, and he's then prosecuted at the Diet of Worms. So Worms is a central location where all these things are happening, okay? And and so what, what ultimately happens is Tyndale connects with Luther. And in this, the two of these guys start working furiously to translate the New Testament into their common languages, so Luther's translating the the Bible, the New Testament predominantly at this point, into German. Tyndale is doing it in English. And now Tyndale also does this. He starts learning Hebrew. So he's learned Greek prior to this, and he has a rough copy of the New Testament. Then he learns Hebrew, and, and the way it connects is his Hebrew language and understanding begins to help him understand the connections of the Old Testament to the New Testament in unusual ways, and then he reshapes his Bible in the, uh, the New Testament translation, and it is the premier English translation that ultimately becomes kind of the, the template standard format by which the, new, uh, which the King James Version is ultimately translated in what year? 1611. Okay? That's when we get the authorized version. So, had it not been for William Tyndale being so uh, focused in on having the scriptures translated in English, we, we might not have seen the English Bible come about the way it did. And and so, ultimately, he is so convinced and his, his convictions are so steeped on the importance of translating the Bible in English. When uh, Vaughn and Cromwell have been sent by King Henry VIII to call him back, his number one position is this, if you'll let me translate the Scriptures into English, I'll come back. If you won't, I'm staying away. And what happens is the king says, nope, you're not going to do it. He stays away. Ultimately, and this is like probably the saddest part of, of his whole life, but real struggles, uh, real people, real struggles, real success his real stu- struggle was this. He had a friend who betrayed him. They ended up walking through some kind of narrow pass, and the, the friend had told him that he'll be behind me. He was arrested. Tyndale was arrested and then ultimately killed at the stake for his faith. Now here's what's most interesting. Though Tyndale was staunch about his belief in the, the need for an English translation, ultimately this is what he he's described as, and I, I don't want to give you this this. Piece, that in this uh, a 17-month period where he was being, he was, I think, very close to Luther. He, Luther actually talks about his own influence by Tyndale, about the importance of translating the Scriptures. Um, ultimately, he, Tyndale writes this, this work. Faith alone justifies before God. See, it wasn't just about the Scripture itself. It's what the Scriptures taught him. And so you have the, the tradition, the Catholic tradition, set that says it's not a faith alone. Tyndale recognizes that the New Testament, the more he spent time in the Word, he realizes that it is faith alone that is what justifies us before God. It's not any of our works, any of our efforts. So so that's his rallying cry that he gains from the study of the Scripture. So the truth was, the single note that he was singing was not Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. It was the message of Scripture. Does that make sense? All of that to say, great history lesson in William Tyndale. But what does that mean for us today? Well, I want us to turn to Second Chronicles, because I, as I was uh, thinking about the Word of God, and this has all come about through some of the, the history, and it, and it may take you a second. First, Second Kings, First Second Chronicles. Did I get that right? First Second Samuel, yeah. First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles. Nehemiah, Esther, Job, like that. Okay, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So right, it, right in there, okay, in that early part of the New Testament. Hopefully that helps you find it. First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Okay, so hopefully you locate that. Second Chronicles 36. So why I'm here in this Old Testament passage has to do with some of the things that the Lord led us to, to address in uh, the vision retreat yesterday about where we are. And so the, the part of the context of, of where we are in vision retreat and some things that we're trying to teach our new deacons is that, the, um, that there's this aspect to church life that consists of both the physical things in church life that, that we, we look at and kind of say, hey, those are like the trellis. Okay the the thing that the vine, the living thing climbs up, so we have to have the trellis aspects of church life, but the more important living aspect of the the church body is the life and uh, i can 't remember who it was yesterday, somebody prayed John fifteen um, about us abiding in Christ and, and uh, Gina, was that you, or was that maybe it was Maya? Um, I just remember hearing that during some of the prayer time yesterday, and, and it drove me to that idea that yes, we are. Uh, Jesus is the, the vine and we are the branches. And, and so there's this living aspect to who we are. And I think there's a biblical principle that I talked about yesterday that when Nehemiah uh, took the Israelites from captivity, Babylonian captivity, back to Jerusalem, what did they do first? They rebuilt the walls. There was a physical aspect to them that ultimately led them to this point where Ezra Uh, the the Levite priest, he's able to read the Word for an entire day, and the the people are tuned in to the reading of Word as he stands on this platform. Again, another physical piece to be up over their heads where the projection of his voice would help them to hear the Word. But here's the greater key to this, and I'm going to set all this up, is when the people heard the Word according to Nehemiah in in Nehemiah chapter 8, they didn't just hear it and then Go, oh, that's great, thumbs up, way to go, Ezra, way to read so well. The, the Scriptures tells us that they actually repented. That, that they, the things that led them into the captivity, they said, we are broken before the Lord about this. That, that their sin and their rebellion and their disobedience was so confrontational, or they were so confronted by and convicted by that, that they repented. That's huge. So now let's look at 2 Chronicles 36. And I want to walk through this a couple of verses here. We won't read the entire thing. But let's begin with verses um, 15 and 16 to get a little bit of back context here, okay? Let's, because this is the indictment of, of the Lord upon the people before they enter into the time of captivity. Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on His dwelling place. Wow. Do you hear the heart of God in that? He sent persistently again and again and again through His messengers. He did not quit on the people, even though they were rebellious, even though they had awful kings, even though they were building these high places of worship to false gods. He followed after them hard. He was persistent. He had compassion. Now listen to verse 16. But the people, they kept mocking the messengers of God. Listen to the response. They mocked the messengers of God. Here's where, it, it, to me, is really key for this morning. They despised his words. Now, those are not the words of the messenger, because the messenger were carrying whose word? God's word. They were despising God's word. Continue on. And they were scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, Until there was no remedy. Whoa. Do you hear the weight of that? Until there was no remedy. The Lord had been persistent, compassionate, a God of mercy, showing his heart, calling his people to endure the mocking, the scoffing, even to the point that they despise his word. But he said, there's nothing that's going to change. They're not going to heed this type of approach. So now let's see what he does. Verse 17. Therefore... He brought up against the king, uh, against them, the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. So the Lord sends a a point of discipline by the king of the Chaldeans, and he destroys the people. He brings them. It brings this wrath upon them through this uh, earthly king. And let's keep reading. Verse 18. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. So, Ultimately, the Lord says the only way that they're going to have any chance of repenting and returning is to go into this Babylonian captivity and to experience a season where it feels like I've just neglected them, where my compassion seems distant, because ultimately through that, there will be a return. It's it's a good warning for us today in it, because I think, and if you've paid any attention to some of the, the public things that are going on, especially out of Canada right now, Um, Has anybody, what is it, C4? Is that what it is? I can't remember. Is that right? There's this new law that's been uh, put in place that that Canadians are not allowed to basically encourage anyone to be transformed by the gospel uh, as far as gender identity or sexual orientation or anything like that. So ultimately, it means if I'm talking to an individual who may be homosexual, lesbian, or have gender identity issues, and I begin to share the gospel with them, I could be perse- prosecuted and spend up to five years in prison. It's in place now. MacArthur, if you don't know this, MacArthur preached against this last week and said something, it was deemed as hate speech on YouTube, the message pulled down. It's been put back up. But those implications are happening again and again and again, and it's becoming more and more real. I believe, and, and there's people that are saying this, and I think they're right on, but I think in the near future, our persecution, especially if pastors that are preaching these kind of things in the pulpit, and they're out on social media of any kind or recorded out there, are going to experience uh, limitation. Speech is going to be considered as hate speech, or um, and there's going to be censoring and those kind of things done. It's happening. Okay. Yeah, Sherilyn. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and that's. Because the state has that authority in their lives, okay, to, to squelch that message about uh, what it is, transformative therapy, is that what it is, it's called? I, I can't remember either. There's enough out there, you can quickly Google and research this. Um, but, but ultimately, it, it prevents us from talking about how God created us male and female and addressing that biblical perspective as we share the hope of the gospel, okay? Now, now I share all that. Not to get us too derailed, but to say, contextually, what, what ha- was happening then, we're struggling with some of the same things where we're, we're seeing the Word of God despised and rejected, and if we as a church don't cling tightly to the Word of God, our, we will become compromised in our health first, and then in our influence in the world. Is, and, and we're on the precipice of those things, and, and it means that we have a huge responsibility, folks be influenced and to, to cling tightly to. And, and, and what I would say is invest in the study of God's Word, okay? So let's, let's keep going. and Look over now to verses 21 and 22, okay? Because the, the Lord brings this discipline, and then He says this. Ultimately, He says, all, He's doing these things to fulfill the Word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoy its, enjoyed its Sabbath all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 uh, years, right? Sorry, yeah, 70 years. Now, verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, be, Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. That 70 years, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you'll, you'll remember me sharing this. That was... The prophecy that Daniel was reading out of Jeremiah that he went, oh, ding, 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 the 70 years is up. And he started to prepare. And that's what led into that prophecy uh, about the, the kingdoms. Um, we see this prophecy right here fulfilled in whose life? The life of Nehemiah. As you begin to read Nehemiah chapter 1, these things started coming about. So, so what is the, the point of all of this ultimately? And here's where I want to land. Each of these verses that we've highlighted this morning focus in on what? The Word of God. And though this, at this point, it's not the captured scriptures that we have today, though some of it was happening, obviously the Lord's continued to reveal these truths through uh, prophets that came along later, through other key figures uh, that came later, obviously, then especially through the gospel writers who captured the teaching and the words of Jesus, and then Paul and others in the New Testament. But here's here's what I want us to emphasize for just a minute. When you think about, and I, and I didn't get this ready with, with Julie this morning, uh, so I apologize for this, but you can kind of look over um, on the banners on the sidewall. Um, and Julie, I don't know if you know how to noodle around and find the, um, I, it would probably be icon. Does anybody remember? Anyhow, what's that, Mallory? Yes, it's going to be the the worship icon for the logo. But if you look at the sides, either one, whichever is most comfortable, you're going to see these little figures with their hands raised. Um, On our our logo, the two leaves are in a different position on the logo itself. And so out of that, what the Lord gave us a couple years ago was we were talking about what does it mean to have the marks of maturity for a, a disciple. Because you remember that one of the things that that our church is founded on is Colossians 1, 27 and 28 that talks about the importance of us presenting everyone as a mature disciple, okay? So it's a little bit different take than Matthew 28 on the Great Commission that we would make disciples, but we're still making disciples. We do that by uh, connecting in communities, uh, changing lives, by the process of gathering, growing, and going, okay? So, what we're trying to say in, in these measured marks is these are the, the things that we want people to develop. So, one of those key things is the, the little head thing, the little circle that's the head, is having minds for the truth, okay? So, when we think about minds for the truth is that our minds would be focused on the Word of God so that it shapes us as the Holy Spirit takes the Word We are transformed by the power of the Word of God, alive, because it is like a a sword that divides the bone and the marrow. It's that uh, powerful. It's that precise to reveal who we are, where we sin, where we need to repent, when, when, when we need to identify how we're empowered because of who we are in Christ because we're followers of Him. And so I want to read some verses of Scripture about the importance of the Word of God. And you can write these references down. I'm, they're not going to be posted or anything. But I, I want you to hear these things. Psalm 1830. Psalm 1830. This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. You hear the, the consistency, like when we hide in the Word, in the truth of that, He's that shield for us. That's how we survive life. Psalm 119:105. You'll be very familiar with this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119:9. How can a, and I think this is essential for you young men. I'm looking at three of you guys back there. Y'all need to listen to this, and it's every man in here, especially their fathers. I know we've talked about this in men's ministry. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And that's not just young men, okay? That's every person. But I think it's especially true for men because the enemy attacks the purity of men. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Love this, and this is quoted later in Romans, but it's Isaiah 48. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's good. So, with those verses in mind, I want to read a quote. Um, Scott Swain writes this He says, The sufficiency of Scripture for the life of faith awakens in the reader a desire to search the Scripture's vast plains. Get that image. To search, when we're awakened to the sufficiency of Scripture, we have the desire to search the vast plains, okay? He continues, to savor its numerous, to, to taste and savor its numerous delicacies, and to follow its wise paths. If the narrow way that leads to life has indeed been found, there is nothing else to do but set our feet to traveling. Phew, isn't that cool? I just love that image, that when we know and we taste the delicacy of God's, the greatness of God's Word, the the power of it, the, the answer that it brings, the hope that it provides, all we have to do is travel. That sounds simple. I'm afraid most of us in the church today, we wait for somebody else to do the legwork for us. We don't put our feet to the path. How many of you have been to some place like majestic, like the Grand Canyon or seen the Colorado Rockies or maybe I mean, just go to the edge of the ocean? It, it doesn't even have to be the Atlantic or the Pacific. If you just go to the edge of the Gulf, all of a sudden, what happens? You feel the the smallness and the depth of things, right? But to go there and then later like see a picture, what what do you say about that? It doesn't capture it, right? A picture's worth a thousand words. When you think in those terms, it do, it's not, right? Because you don't feel that same thing. So my point is, you can't have somebody else travel there for you and take the snapshot and you really experience the, the best. It's every one of our responsibilities to be a, a workman who's not ashamed but correctly handling the Word of God. Does that make sense? So let me... Give you a couple more key things. We we'll walk walk through the books of Book of Acts. We obviously we spent the vision retreat yesterday, you know, looking and saying we want a healthy church. But but the challenge that I presented is a healthy church is not about the number of people. I hit the table at the same time that that bottle fell. <laughs> that was weird. How would I do that? Um, see the things that come into somebody's mind. So we uh, we we want a healthy church. The, 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 is there a domino effect going on? <laughs> She's like, "I'm so sorry, sweetie. It's um, <laughs> just payback for all the other things I've done to you." Um, now I've totally derailed. Oh, healthy church. Though, though we want a healthy church. What's interesting about the book of Acts? It, it doesn't address the church specifically in terms of, of buildings or the people in numbers and and physical ideas. You know what the, the growth of the church actually came about by and the emphasis in Acts is? It's the Word of God. That's how the measure of the healthy church was marked. So let me begin and read a couple of these things, okay? Acts 4.31, we read this. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. In Acts 4.31, they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. In, in uh, Acts 6-7, let me read this. The, and the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied. Now, there's numbers, but where was it founded? The, the mark was in the Word of God increasing. And they multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Whew. You think about the impact that the Word of God increasing has that priest, Jewish priest, are coming to faith. That's huge because that is an entire worldview shift for them. Acts 12, 24. But the Word of God increased and multiplied. In Acts 13, 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So so here they're trying to teach the, the Word on a missions journey, And John has come along to assist them in the proclamation of the Word. And then Acts 18.11. And Paul, I think this is Paul, he says he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. The focus was not on making, like, just multiplying disciples. It was about teaching the Word of God. Because when the Word of God is taught, what happens? The fruit of that Word being taught properly is that people come to Christ. It's an impact. is felt and experienced. Last couple, um, in Acts twenty verse thirty two, it says, "I and I now or, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace." Isn't that interesting? Which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then I think this is a great place to, to finish these. Is this is in James one twenty one? We read this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Isn't and, and that good truth? So, so what does that mean for us today? Well, I think it's it's a two-fold like, response for, from us. If I'm taking kind of the concept of where I started with William Tyndale, I think it would be behoove us to have it said of us as well that we've sung one note. That that how the Scriptures have shaped us and, and taught us and changed us, how they're continuing to increase, how that Word of God is continuing to increase, the one note that we sing is what the Scriptures teach, that salvation is through Christ alone, that we are justified by grace through faith alone in Christ. And if that would be our one note, how different would our church body be? How different would our impact in the community be? It's it's actually a very profound and powerful thing to think about because if I'm being very like self-reflective and, and at the same time kind of critical, self-critical in evaluation, my conversation is not about the Word of God enough. I, I drift into silly things, and, and I can and, and this is one of the big requirements that we have as we thought through ordination of elders and deacons. I'll let you in a little insight of in this. We don't want Matt's thoughts or Steve's thoughts or Michael's thoughts. We want the thoughts of the Word of God to be what we direct people to. Because the Word of God is what gives the increase. Not me, not my thoughts, not my interpretation, even though it's important at times. Now I'm not saying just mine. All of ours. But we have to know the Word of God. So the second part is this that we would make much of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So the one note sung is about the Scripture that points to Christ. Is that where you are? Is that where you are? I think that the real part of the response is maybe there's some sin that's preventing you from being confident in your study. Maybe you're ill-equipped to study the Word well. Maybe you're just not practicing the disciplines of being in the Word of God. I don't know. And the truth is I'm not the one to provide that that direction and conviction. I just want to give you some possibilities. The Holy Spirit is certainly able to direct you. And I would encourage you to do this. We're going to take just one minute and pray. How do you need to respond to have the Word of God increase in your life? And then I want to present a little short thing, um, commercial, for something we're going to do as a church body in the some point in the coming months, in, in this year, okay? So let's bow our heads, take one minute, to to respond to the Lord and listen to the Holy Spirit as He convinces you and directs you how you ought to be allowing and investing in the increase of God's Word in your life. Heavenly Father, I think about William Tyndale and the the struggles that he faced as he invested so deeply and richly and um, without floundering that the Word of God might reach people. His real struggle was that he faced a lot of persecution. And Lord, as we gathered here today... um, context and culture that that we're facing, we we may, in our own lives, experience some of those same kind of challenges. But Lord, the the truth of the matter is this, that the Word of God brings life, that that it is never going to fade or wither like the grass. It is worth our investment. It reveals you. And Lord, though we we saw out of Chronicles the the compassion that that had a pause on it when when you brought about a remedy, the remedy is found in the Word of God in Christ. And so Lord, I pray that that we would be a body of people that would be so deeply devoted to your Word that the remedy of sin that is found in Christ would be our rallying cry. And much like Tyndale, that would be the note that we sing. So, Father, I don't know how you've spoken to everybody or each individual in here, but I just trust that your Spirit and uh, His work will bear good fruit in our lives. Lord, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that that hears this message and they go, well, I I can't love the Word of God because I don't have Christ. I don't know Him as Savior. Lord, it's simple that they would confess their sin knowing that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day to pay the penalty for their sin, to, to take upon, that He took upon them their guilt and their shame, that they might have life. And all they have to do is confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord. But Lord, I don't want them just to do that right there in this, the, the seats this morning. I, I would trust that they would receive counsel, so maybe that's an adult parent, maybe it's one of the, the leaders that I, I mentioned today, that they would just touch base with us about what all that means, and we would help them navigate those those things so that they would have be confident about their salvation. And they wouldn't leave here today confused or in doubt. Instead, they would be firm and sure in their faith. So if that's you, I pray that you would just find us out in the foyer afterwards and we'll we'll, we'll be glad to take time with you. So, Father, uh, as we move through just the last couple comments in this service, I, I pray that you would. Uh, take these next few minutes and, and we'd hear the, the challenge before us and the the, the potential for us to be uh, accountable in, in the things of of growing in your word and i pray these things in jesus name amen so stephanie i'm just gonna ask you to p- continue to play i'm gonna take one like one minute to try to wrap up one thing uh, a, a couple months ago uh, bryan college did this really cool thing they sent out an email to students and alumni alike that's my alma mater, uh, mine and Katie's alma mater. And uh, when they sent this out, what they were asking is that uh, they offered people to memorize about 11 verses of scripture. And then we went on campus one morning and one evening. Um, I just participated in the evening service, but they had about 52 people, something like that, uh, maybe 45, some, but it's a pretty good number. Share those verses, and we had I think one, one or two mics up in front. And all, all that people did is they just bounced back and forth in quoting those verses. Now, we had prompters if we needed um, and, and those kind of things just to help us. But in that 45 to 50 minutes, um, that there was the these verses of Scripture that were shared. And the focus for the school was on their doctrinal statement on what the school was founded on as, as a Christian um, organization, university, or college. It was powerful because we got to hear about the emphasis of creation. We got to hear about ultimately... The, the hope of what it means to, to, to dwell in, in heaven with Christ. So we got this thread of Scripture the, through the whole evening. It was really powerful to, to hide the Word of God in our hearts like that. So, so as I brought that concept back to the elders and we talked about that, what we want to do and offer you um, is this opportunity for us to take our five values out of God's glory, relationships, opportunities, vibrancy in everyone. We've got verses listed. And so at some point, you're going to try to do the, a scriptorium where you memorize those passages and we'll have, for the, the values of our church, a time of worship around those scriptures. Then we're going to do the same thing with the markers. When I talked about having a head for the truth, our minds for the truth, hands to serve, feet to go, hearts to, to steward God's resources, um, people being people of prayer and worshipers of God, that we would have verses about that and we'd set off another time to do that scriptorium. We, we challenged several years ago, we challenged every, uh, a group of people to memorize a book of the Bible. One of the things that we've talked about is we never came back with accountability in a way to express that. So it kind of went, you know, fell flat. Um, we don't want that to happen. So I think this is a better and more like better bite size for us to do. So I want you to, to begin to pray about that. How the Word of God become, can be hidden in your heart towards the values and the, the, the vision and the ministry of our church that we might encourage one another as the word of God really takes another level of importance for us just a simple way to take this message hopefully and put it the feet to, to the fire to, to really like traverse to, to travel through the word right so with that said it's just on the table know that the details we're, we're going to work out and we'll let you know and we'll give you all those kind of things so um, let's stand together and we're going to sing a reprise of the service this morning